Welcome to the Littler Workplace Policy Institute podcast. Insider briefings on the latest legislative and regulatory developments affecting employers. Hello, I'm Corinne Jackson, Special Counsel of Workplace Policy and Analytics with Littler's Workplace Policy Institute, or WPI. And I'm Bruce Sarche, a Littler shareholder in Sacramento, California, and also a member of the WPI. So, Corinne, the title of this podcast is Don't Panic. What's up with that? Well, Bruce, this is all about panic buttons. That's not just a figure of speech anymore. It's a real thing. All right, I'll bite. What is uh, this real thing called a panic button? It's basically a small device a worker carries with them. They can hit a button, and it sends a distress signal to their employer or to local law enforcement. Just Google it. They're for sale all over the Internet. Right, and uh, when you do so, when you Google that, uh, which I've done, you can see that hotels are the target audience. That's because several jurisdictions, both inside and outside of California, have enacted or are considering bills that would require hotel operators to provide these panic buttons to certain staff members. And that's where we come in. We've taken a look at these ordinances. Panic buttons for hotel staff are being mandated in more and more localities. So, Corinne, where is this happening? Seattle, one of the more active cities when it comes to coffee, music, rain, tech, and certainly legislative developments, unsurprisingly led the charge on this one. The city was the first to adopt special protections for specified hotel workers in 2016. In fact, that ordinance was an initiative approved by city voters. And in my town, the Sacramento County Board of Supervisors followed suit with its ordinance taking effect earlier this year in March. Chicago also passed this type of law, and it becomes operative soon on July 1st, 2018. That's right. Meanwhile, the California State Legislature is evaluating its own proposal on this topic. So it seems that this type of law is really gaining momentum. Let's dive a little deeper and see what's involved. Corinne, didn't you grow up in this uh, trend-setting Seattle? Why don't you start our tour there? I did, and I'm always happy to visit the Emerald City. There are several components to the Seattle Ordinance, actually, so buckle up. The first section requires hotel employers to take steps to protect employees from violence and sexual harassment. Now, the term hotel employers is defined to include hotels or motels with 60 or more guest rooms or suites of rooms. So those types of hotel employers must provide a panic button to each employee assigned to work in a guest room without other employees being present so that that worker can call for help if he or she believes there is an ongoing crime, harassment, or other emergency. Moreover, the panic button must be provided at no cost to the worker. The Seattle law also allows the employee, after pressing the panic button, to leave the area of perceived danger without repercussion. In other words, the employer cannot punish the employee for stopping work under those circumstances. Yes, and yet the ordinance goes much farther than just requiring panic buttons. There are several other key components of the new law imposing additional compliance obligations on covered hotels. The law obligates hotel employers to record accusations made against their guests for acts of violence, including sexual assault or sexual harassment. Covered employers must keep a list of all accused guests 
for five years. There is also a so-called blacklisting aspect to this provision. If a worker's accusation of assault, sexual assault, or sexual harassment is supported by a sworn statement or other evidence, the hotel employer must refuse to accept that guest for at least three years after the incident. And for accused guests who are able to return to the hotel, employers must warn staff to exercise caution when entering that guest's room. Uh, we are just getting started, though. Protected Seattle hotel employees have a right to certain relief if they complain of guest violence or sexual misconduct. For example, they must be reassigned at their request to a different floor or work area during the problem guest's stay. And employers must grant paid leave time as needed for the employee to provide a statement to police and seek advice. Hotel employers themselves are also obligated to report alleged criminal conduct to the authorities if the employee consents. In addition to the guest room safety requirements, the Seattle Ordinance imposes numerous other safety duties, including requirements relating to general safety obligations, chemical hazards, and repetitive motion injuries. How does the law address repetitive motion injuries? Well, this part of the law applies only to hotels with 100 or more guest rooms or suites of rooms. Such hotels cannot require housekeepers to clean more than 5,000 square feet of floor space in an eight-hour workday. And it's worth noting that if an employee performs cleaning duties in excess of the ordinance's restrictions, he or she earns premium pay. In that event, the employer must pay one and a half times the employee's regular rate for all time worked cleaning guest rooms that day. A good point, Corinne. There can be significant legal and monetary consequences, including penalties, for employer violations. And large hotel employers in Seattle have still another unique obligation to juggle here. Yes, these larger hotels must pay additional compensation to low-income employees to help them afford medical insurance. How much compensation are we talking, and who gets it? Well, according to the ordinance, the added compensation is essentially to bridge the gap between the wages earned by a low-income, full-time employee and the average cost of family medical coverage. The ordinance defines a low-wage employee as an employee whose total compensation from the hotel is 400% or less of the federal poverty line for the size of that employee's household. So, for example, for a family of four, the applicable U.S. poverty guideline threshold established by the Department of Health and Human Services is currently $25,100. Based on that definition, a large hotel full-time employee with a family of four earning up to $100,000 annually could be considered a low-wage worker. Correct. Large hotel employers with such employees must pay by the 15th of each month the greater of either number one, $200, or number two. The difference between the premium for the lowest cost gold standard plan in Washington State Exchange and 7.5% of the amount by which the employee's compensation in the prior month exceeding 100% of the federal poverty guideline. Everybody got that? Oh, Bruce, that got complicated pretty quickly. 
Yes, it did. And I read it fast on purpose, because if you really get into this, you're going to have to take a look at it and read it more carefully and slowly. It, it really reminds me of filling out my taxes. Are we done with Seattle yet? Sorry, no. The last piece of this puzzle addresses the retention of workers when a hotel is sold and changes ownership. And these regulations apply to all covered hotel employers, not just the larger hotels. The ordinance basically requires incoming hotel employers to hire eligible workers who were employed by the outgoing owner for the first six months following the change in ownership. It also entitles the retained employees to a 90-day transition period, followed by a written performance evaluation and potentially continued employment. The ordinance also imposes various notice, posting, and record-keeping requirements. Well, no surprise there. It also authorizes aggrieved employees to file a private right of action, that is a private lawsuit for violation of the law. And that's it. Believe it or not, we didn't really do a deep dive into all of the provisions of the new Seattle hotel law. But let's move on. Now, we mentioned earlier that Sacramento County and Chicago also enacted hotel worker protections. Are their ordinances similar to Seattle? Well, now that you mention it, both are quite similar to each other, but generally less onerous to the hotel owners than Seattle's version. The Sacramento ordinance applies to hotels with 25 or more guest rooms. Meanwhile, the Chicago law, nicknamed the hands-off, pants-on ordinance, seems to apply to all hotels within the city's limits. And these ordinances share two basic elements. As in Seattle, the Sacramento and Chicago laws both require hotel employers to provide panic buttons or other portable emergency contact devices to employees who are assigned to work in guest or restrooms where no other employees will be present. These devices must be made available to employees at no charge. In addition, hotel employers in these jurisdictions must develop, maintain, and comply with written anti-sexual harassment policies. These policies basically track existing anti-harassment policies, but with a few exceptions. That's right. In Chicago, when an employee pushes the panic button, the employer's policy must state the following. Number one, the employee needs to leave the area until assistance arrives. And number two, the employee is to be offered temporary work assignments for the duration of the guest's stay, and the guest being the one that caused the worker to push the panic button in the first place. And the Chicago ordinance also includes a paid leave time provision, just like the Seattle law. Chicago hotel workers are also entitled to paid time off to file a police complaint or testify as a witness in any ensuing legal proceedings. Chicago additionally requires anti-harassment notices to be delivered in Polish. Yeah, Corinne, did you know that over 7% of Chicago's population is residents of Polish ancestry? Well, no, Bruce, I did not. You learn something new every day. Yes, and before I start dreaming of pierogies, we should start to learn something about the California Hotel Panic Button Bill now working its way through our state legislature. Although pierogies are dreamy. So California's bill, AB 1761, as currently written, applies to all hotels, motels, inns, 
or other lodging establishments in the Golden State. As with the other laws discussed today, it would require hotel employers to provide panic buttons free of charge to employees working alone in guest rooms. Employees under this pending legislation would be free to cease working if they believe there is an ongoing crime, harassment, or other emergency. If an employee complains of violence, assault, or harassment, the employer must provide paid time off. Under the bill, employees are obligated to provide reasonable advance notice of the need for such leave where feasible. And reasonable accommodations would also be required, including transfer, reassignment, or a modified work schedule. And, as in the Sacramento Ordinance, AB 1761 creates a signage duty for hotels. Hotel employers would need to post a notice on the back of each guest room door informing guests of the worker protections under the panic button law. And we're going to have to wait and see what the California legislature does with AB 1761, but this panic button trend may spread statewide. And it may not stop there. This issue is not likely to go away, especially in the wake of the Me Too movement. Special protections for hotel workers will likely remain a hot topic in the industry. For example, in contract negotiations currently taking place in Las Vegas, a union has proposed that all housekeepers be provided with panic buttons. So for now, we will continue to monitor this important topic and will report back on any noteworthy progress. Many thanks to all of our listeners. Stay tuned to Littler's Workplace Policy Institute for further updates and information regarding state and local workplace regulatory and legislative developments. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.